I think most everyone here understands the concept or the term or the expression uh, having a bucket list. Bucket list is a thing of a series of things, special things that you want to do before you die. You know, for some people that involves going to some faraway exotic place. There are people that maybe want to go walk on the Great Wall of China. Some people want to go to Paris and see the Eiffel Tower. Some people want to see the, the uh, pyramids in Egypt or some beautiful exotic island in the South Pacific somewhere. Other people in their bucket list want to do some great unusual things. There are some people that want to parachute. Well, I don't know, but there are some people that do. There are some people that want to climb some mountain. For those of you that are younger, it may very well be that someday in your future, you're going to get to fly in space. So a lot of people have a lot of bucket list items. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that I also have a series of bucket list items. And the items on my bucket list are probably pretty boring compared to the things I've just mentioned here. But my bucket list items really are things that are spiritual in nature. One of the things on my bucket list is I want someday to be able to make an in-depth study of the book of Revelation. Now, I thought I was going to do that a long time ago. When I was 22 years old, fresh out of college, wet behind the ears, I began to work with the church in Davis, Oklahoma, a little church down in South Oklahoma. And I came up with the bright idea that I was going to teach these people the book of Revelation. So I got my trusty B.W. Johnson commentary, and on Wednesday nights, I began to present studies in the book of Revelation. And I discovered pretty soon I was over my head. I didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't understand what I was reading. So I sort of put it aside, and I said, one of these days, I'm going to make an in-depth study of Revelation. I have not done it yet. It is one of my bucket lists. But we're going to see a fulfillment. We are seeing a fulfillment of one of my bucket lists this morning. One of my bucket list items was to have the opportunity to preach in a service with both of my sons. And you know, that's happening this morning. And for me, that is something that is so special. It is so cool. And it's so rewarding. And so there are those that I need to thank on this situation. I think need to thank God, obviously. First and foremost, I thank the great God of heaven for his love and mercy and grace that allows us to accomplish things. I want to thank their mother, Debbie, because of the monumental job she did in raising these two boys. I give her all credit for anything good these boys do. And I want to thank the congregation here at 21st Street for this opportunity as well, and especially the elders, and especially Brother Allen, because at the Sulphur meeting this past year, he was the one that suggested that maybe we could pull this off. So thank you, Allen, and thank you for the congregation here. You know, one of the characteristics that makes humans special is that we have a wide range of emotions. You can meet people that seem to be wearing their emotions on their sleeve. They couldn't hide their emotions if they had to. You can meet them and within a minute you know if they're happy or sad or angry or scared or whatever. And there are other people on the other hand, you know, that you can meet them and they're pretty much like a statue. You have trouble reading them. You don't know what they're thinking or feeling. You don't know if they're happy or sad or whatever. 
Well, do you know that the Scriptures tell us that Jesus expressed all the emotions that we do? Now, sometimes we struggle with our emotions. Sometimes our emotions control us. But when we begin to look at Jesus and see how He expressed emotions and how He controlled His emotions, then there's a lesson for us as well. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17 that Jesus was to be made like His brethren so that He could be a faithful and merciful high priest. He has all of the emotions that we did. I want to mention about two or three of these real quick before our time is up. Jesus, obviously, and probably the first one you would think of, expressed the emotion of love. Jesus showed us how to love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, the Bible says God is love. Now, since God is love, we would naturally expect that Jesus is love also. And so we sing of Him. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves all the little children of the world. We sing a lot of songs about love. And Jesus expresses himself in love. In, in the book of John, which uh, Brother Steve mentioned this morning, there are some occasions where the Bible talks about this disciple whom Jesus loved. And we understand that to be John. We understand from that that Jesus loves his people. Jesus loves those who follow him. But Jesus also loves those who don't follow him. Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler, the one that came running to Jesus and said, good master, what must I do to have, to have eternal life? And Jesus told him, and they went through their little discussion, and you remember that the young man said upon hearing that he needed to keep all the commandments of the law, I've done that since I youth. What lack I yet? And in Mark chapter 10, and verse 21, the Bible says that Jesus looked upon him and loved him. It's not in Matthew's account, but it's in Mark's account. Jesus looked upon this man and loved him and said, there's one thing that you're lacking. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And he would go away sorrowful. Jesus lost someone there. They walked away. And I think he knew that was going to happen. But the Bible says that Jesus loved him. Now, strangely enough, over in the book of Revelation, chapter 3 and verse 19, Jesus there said, for as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Does that not sound a little odd? Isn't it with love that we, we overlook sin? We kind of wink at sin? We turn our eyes away from sin and kind of ignore it? But Jesus said, no, because of the fact that I love you, I will rebuke and chasten you. And so therefore the love that Jesus exhibited, that emotion, and the one that we want to exhibit as well is one that loves and chastens when necessary. It is a correcting love. Let's move on. I want to talk about another emotion that Jesus felt. Jesus felt the emotion of anger. One time he visited a synagogue. And it was on the Sabbath day. And he found within that synagogue a man with a withered hand. And our Lord had compassion upon that man. He wanted to do something for that man. He wanted to heal that man. But Jesus looked around. And he saw that within that synagogue was a crowd of Jewish religious leaders that were watching him like a hawk. Like a wild animal, they were ready to pounce if Jesus was going to do something special on the Sabbath day. And in Mark chapter 3, 
and verse 5, the Bible says that Jesus looked upon them with anger in her heart for what they were thinking. Jesus felt angry. Now, that's one of the things that we try to our, tell ourselves well, we don't need to have. Let's don't have anger. Let's back away from anger. Let's be afraid of anger. Because doesn't the Bible say that it's wrong to have anger? Do you remember that in the passage in Galatians chapter 5, the works of the flesh? One of the works of the flesh is wrath or anger. And yet the Bible here says that Jesus possessed anger. So that tells me right off the bat that anger in and of itself is not necessarily wrong. In fact, if Jesus felt anger, there are times when it's correct. But we also have to remind ourselves that Jesus felt anger in a different way than we generally do. Our anger that we feel sometimes is caused by our selfishness. Someone does something wrong to us. Someone does us dirty. We grow angry and we want to get even. When you look at the story of Jesus, he doesn't get angry over the treatment that people pile upon him. When he was arrested by that Jewish entourage in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wasn't angry with those people. When he was brought before Caiaphas and when he was slapped in the face and buffeted and spit upon and mocked, Jesus didn't get angry. When he was turned over to Pilate and scourged to with an inch of his life, he didn't get angry. When Jesus was nailed on the cross and suffered all that he did there, he didn't get angry. He didn't get angry for himself. When others were mistreated and when the truth was ignored or abused, Jesus could become angry. And that anger is one that we commonly call a righteous indignation. And so therefore, based upon the ex exhibition of emotions here, and Jesus expressed anger in this sense, then we see that we too can do the same. But we have to be careful. Because anger allowed to remain in your heart, whether it's righteous indignation or false anger, can simmer. It can fester into something horrible and something ugly. And so therefore Paul would remind us in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26, be angry and sin not. And don't let the sun go down in your wrath. Let me give you one more real quick. This is another emotion Jesus felt. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 15, Jesus said, there are those who hold, you have among you those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Did you catch that? Jesus said, here's something I hate. Now, don't we want to keep hate out of our lives? If our children come home from school and our little boy or our little girl sits down and says, I hate my teacher. Now, probably we're going to jump all over them, won't we? And rightly so, because we don't want to hate people. And yet the Bible here says that Jesus said, you have among you some who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. You will notice carefully, Jesus didn't say I hate the Nicolaitans. He said, I hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now, I don't know exactly what the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is, but I don't know if that's really important because it's something that Jesus hated that involved some kind of teaching some doctrine and that reminds me then that jesus hates false doctrine and so should we we should hate false doctrine and the reason we hate false doctrine is because it takes people away from the truth that jonathan described 
in the book of John chapter 8. It snatches the truth out of people's hearts. You've heard that expression before. Remember in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gave that parable of the soils. And he mentions that the devil has the ability to snatch that seed out of people's heart. You know how he does that? One of the ways that the devil snatches the seed out of people's heart is through false doctrine. A little over a month ago, about six months or so ago, we had a young man baptized in Little Rock. And our brother who baptized him is here. And our brother who did the baptizing is a very zealous young man, very evangelistic young man. And this was a friend that he had made, and he spent a lot of time with this guy. They studied a lot, they palled around together a lot, so it wasn't something that happened instantly. But after a period of time, this young man decided to be baptized. And I think he was sincere in doing it. Because you see, number one, he wanted to be, be baptized late at night, 1.30 in the morning. Not only that, he wanted to be baptized immediately, and the only place close by was, uh, was Lake uh, Conway, and the temperature was 37 degrees. Now, if the outside temperature was 37 degrees, imagine what the water temperature was. Anyway, they went through the baptism, and I'm convinced he was sincere in being baptized. He took time. It wasn't a spur-of-the-moment thing. But about a couple of weeks after his baptism, he went home to Indiana to visit his parents, who were denominational. And they were waiting for him. In fact, they had two denominational preachers waiting for him. And when he got home, they tag-teamed him. And I guess kind of worked him over. And to make this long story short, he fell away. And I'll tell you exactly what happened there. The devil used false doctrine to snatch that word out of his heart. Folks, that's why false doctrine is dangerous. That's why we preach against false doctrine. You may hear, oh no, another sermon on this doctrine, that doctrine. That doctrine, if believed, will snatch the word of God out of your heart. That's why the Bible repeatedly makes statements about doctrine and the importance of true doctrine and the dangers of false doctrine. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, Paul says, don't be children anymore being uh, tossed to and fro by false doctrine. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 9, the Bible warns us there again, don't be led away by false doctrine. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 9, in vain do they worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That's false doctrine. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, Peter says, as there were false prophets in the past, there will be false teachers among you who will bring in damnable heresies and will even deny the Lord and bring upon themselves swift destruction. That's false doctrine. And that can lead you away from the Lord. And that's why Jesus hated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And so in this very brief study, we've been able to look at Jesus and look at the emotions that he showed. And perhaps from him, we can learn how to utilize our emotions and not be controlled by them, but use them in the right way for the glory of God in His kingdom. We've had some, heard some wonderful teaching today, and we've heard wonderful teaching throughout this series of meetings. Men have gotten up here and have preached the gospel and have rebuked us and encouraged us and strengthened us. Maybe you're here this morning and you have not yet obeyed the gospel. Maybe it's time now 
for you to make that decision that you thought about for a while, but you kind of put it aside, you've struggled with it a little bit, and you know that you need to do it, but you haven't. Why not this morning make the decision that I'm going to come forward, I'm going to give my life to the Lord, I'm going to obey His gospel. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe He's the Savior of the world and my Savior as well. I'm willing to repent of my sins and turn away from them. I'm willing to confess His wonderful name. And I'm willing to be baptized in water for the remission of my sins. Maybe you're here today. You've obeyed these, but you've strayed. You've erred. You've gone back the wrong direction. Maybe your emotions have gotten a hold of you and led you astray. Maybe the devil has snatched that word out of your heart. Why not this morning determine, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to repent of my wrongs. I'm going to confess, confess my sins. And I'm going to pray for God's mercy. If we can help this morning, we invite you to come at this time while we stand.